You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, folks. Welcome back to the Mountain Swire Football Podcast Week Seven Recap. That's right, Week Seven. Check us out every single day. Make it a bookmark. Download the the Sportswire app to find mwwire.com. Jeremy Moss, hang out with Matt Kennerly. Hey, go Fresno, right? Another win. Uh, well, yeah, I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, you know, it was definitely an interesting weekend. Maybe more interesting than a lot of people expected, considering there were so many big betting lines amongst a lot of the games. And I'm going to apologize now for anybody who believed me, believed me in Hawaii. I, I thoroughly apologize for that. That's yeah, okay. Four and eight is still in play for BYU. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that game later because I, I, I was pretty bold in my predictions for that matchup. So let's get to the lightning storm part two. Air Force, San Diego State. We're, we're just going to jump right into it, folks. We will get to everything as normal what we do. 21-17. San Diego State won a game where... How long was that delay? An hour? 45 minutes? Uh, it was, I, if I remember correctly, it wasn't quite as long as it was last year. You know, when, when I said that I thought that this game would get weird, I did not expect <laughs> literally the exact same thing to happen a second year in a row. Um, but it was it was interesting because it was, it was you know, maybe it was an ugly game, all things considered. Mm-hmm. I still thought it was entertaining as hell, though. Well, it was. It's a close game. Like games can be ugly. It wasn't the because while there was some rain, it wasn't like last year's game that was like played in a pond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was just intense. There's weather. There's rain. But when you look at what happened. Like it came down to the wire. It was seventy. Oh yeah. Like they had the safety. Not many points were being scored in this game. It wasn't San Diego State one of the double digit favorites, like eleven point home favorite. They were. And here's the thing. Like Aztecs are winning. Great. But Ryan Agnew goes nine of twenty-five for two hundred thirteen yards. See, that's that's the thing, though. That's he weird. was only he was only nine of twenty-five. But do you but... realize that six of those plays were considered chunk plays, passing plays of more than fifteen yards? It has to be his average is more, about fifteen yards. Is what? Um, what's that? 10, 18 yards a catch, twenty yards mm-hmm. a catch. Every play is yeah, so a chunk I'm just play. Gonna, I, just, I just want to read the number of 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 yards with each big play that he was able to create. Because it's it's real it's a really weird stat line, and that's why I say you know it wasn't pretty, but it was definitely entertaining. So like in the first half, he had a, on the very first drive he had a 55 yard play to Fred Trevilian, and then he went 24, 28, 15, 32, and then the game winner to Parker Houston from 29. It's pretty good. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean if you can create that ex- kind of explosiveness consistently, that isn't something that we've seen from the Aztecs too, too often. Hey, try it, try it. They haven't seen that since Ryan Lindley has been throwing the ball. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously 9 of 25 probably isn't sustainable. It's garbage, to um, be honest. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Come on. You, you, you got to at least crack 50%. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, obviously the weather did have something to do with it. And, you know, give credit because they had to get yards somehow 
uh, Air Force was able to contain the running game for the most part, kind of like I thought they would. Chase Jasmine had a long of 20, and he only had 70 total yards on 18 carries. But it was kind of one of those things where it worked on both sides. You know, the Air Force was able to get some big plays on the ground here and there, which you had thought might be able to happen. You know, Colt Fagan had a big 42-yard run. I believe it was in the first half, um, uh, about midway through the second quarter. But on the whole, you know, the the Falcons only averaged 4.2 yards per carry. And well, so you could kind of say maybe that's a win for the Aztecs. Well, that's just because, to help, help Donald Hammond got injured, had to leave the game. That's true. Yeah, because especially since Isaiah Sanders in that second half, when they really needed him to step up and make plays, you know, he, he finished 7 of 15, 51 yards, and, of course, the, the interception to Parker Baldwin that mm. in, eventually sealed the game. But, you know, he just did not look as sharp as he has looked in the past. And while they're, they've already said that the the injury that Hammond suffered isn't serious. Yeah, the high ankle sprain. Yeah, still kind of up in the air as to how, exactly how long he'll be out. And I think that after last week's offensive performance, if they're forced to go back to Sanders and Worthman, you know, we've, we've seen plenty of evidence this, this season that I don't know exactly how well it's going to work out for them. I don't think it's going to be bad. Because those guys, like, if you go back, Worthman's been a multi-year starter. Sanders played last year near the end, and this year they both look good at times. And so it's not ideal, but it's not like it's you're throwing new guys out there who haven't played. I think, like, Sanders going 7-15, to 15, that's okay. 51 yards is not great when you consider how he's having to throw that much, but I think it's, yeah, Hammond seems to be the guy the past week and a half we've seen him, past two weeks. But I don't think it's a terrible thing if he... If um, if they have to go to somebody else, it's not mm-hmm. the best situation. But these guys have plenty of game experience. They know what they're getting into. It seems like it would be Sanders over Worthman, and Sanders it does fine. But Hammond just seemed to have that spark. And but also, if you want to look at it a bit more, you you've always said I need a quarterback or one guy to run the ball a lot. Sanders wasn't efficient. Did have 15 carries, number two behind Fagan there. But I think they'll be okay. It's just not number number one scenario they want to have. It's not going to be their best. It's basically it's not their best player. So. We'll see. I and just, it, it's I, a just I have my doubts. You know, I, you should, I think as you should, that yeah. maybe the maybe the Mountain Division isn't quite as formidable as it maybe looked in the preseason, but I think it seems pretty clear at this point that if they don't have Hammond under center, it's going to be an uphill climb. Oh, it will be, but I, it's uh, maybe we're differing here. I don't think the setback is as big as, you, as you're saying it is, but that's your thoughts and those are my thoughts. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this: this part of this game, we'll get to more of it, but. I'm going to probably sprinkle these in throughout. I'm sending out in process of doing our midseason uh, Google Doc to the team here. Is it blasphemy that I don't have a San Diego State running back as the all midseason all conference team? I plan on not listing one. I, I mean, I would say I don't think so because I would say that if Juwan Washington had stayed healthy uh, well, obviously. and and continued to produce as he has, he would have been a slam dunk choice. But, you know, I think you can make the argument that, you know, in limited time, there are other more worthy candidates for that list. Here's what I have really quick. We'll get back to the game. Alexander Madison, Boise State. Lexington Thomas, despite his past two games, he's done well overall. Tyrone Owens, New Mexico. Gerald Brett, Utah State. Tawatua, Nevada. And Darwin Thompson, Utah State. Should I be adding Jordan Mims on that list for um, Fresno? Uh... No, nah, I don't think so. I was double checking because 
I was looking at receptions. He does lead the conference in receptions for a back, but he has like 12. So I'm like, that's not mm. enough to get him in there. Okay, I'm just curious. I'm letting people know out there that why they say there's no Aztec running back, that's why. And no, mm. we're not combining positions per team. But to this game itself, people are touting um, Agnew as better than Christian Chapman. I, I think he has capability to be, the, as we've seen, the more chunk, the downfield play quarterback, bigger plays in Chapman. But this game itself, like Air Force, I don't think they're going to make a bowl game. And Aztecs are winning, and um, people are putting them number one power polls in our league and our, our team here. P- they're getting the, their closest team to be ranked within the Mountain West. I don't think they're the best team in the conference right now. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to, which I'm assuming we'll talk about a little more when we talk about some of the other mm-hmm. teams at or near the top of the of each division. It kind of goes back to the argument of, of who you beat versus how you beat them. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think that there's any doubt right now that San Diego State probably does own maybe the two or three, maybe the, I would let's say the two, best wins out of the three teams in this conversation. And by that, I mean, you know, the Aztecs, Fresno State, Utah State. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would contend that beating Arizona State, even though they're kind of a you know, middling Pac-12 team right now, still up in the air as to how good they really are. They are 3-3 and, three and, three and a bad Pac-12 South. And, and Boise State, which we'll talk about in a little bit with, with their game against Nevada, you know, beating them is still a big deal. Yeah. So... And I, and I would say that if you go by Sager, and I don't have those numbers right in front of me, but I do know that of the teams uh, above 500 in the conference, that the Aztecs, at least for right now, do have kind of the best strength schedule that they've played so far out of any of those teams. And that was reflected, I think, in FBI last week as well. That's not going to be updated until tomorrow, Monday. Um but, I mean, I wouldn't expect that to be any different, even though they had kind of another close call against a team like Air Force. Now, just to, I, I was able to look that up while I was talking. Right now by Sagarin, San Diego State's 5-1, and one, their schedule rank is, is actually number two in the conference among the 12 teams, but it's up to 53. And they're right 60, 66th overall. Yeah, and by comparison, Fresno State's own schedule is 88th, Utah State's is 115th. Okay. It's just I don't know. We'll get we'll talk about through all these games, but it's they're winning how they should be winning. I don't care who they're winning with. Um, like I got some stupid argument, some Aztec guy. I'm like on our account. I'm like the most dominant team. I still think is Utah State. Aztecs mm-hmm. are winning. They're winning how they have to win with losing not having top starters. Like in this game too. This is a game they could have lost. Defense is great. They had the late interception. Then they got the touchdown to get the victory. After that, they had solid enough running back. Their offensive line's proving well enough to hold Agnew up and allowing Chet Jasmine, who, okay, 70 yards isn't great against Air Force, but he still has nearly five yards to carry. Mm-hmm. His team's still led by defense. Even Washington and Chapman come back, it's going to be still led by the defense. Like, look at uh, the guys getting, like, 10 solo tackles. Like, Parker Baldwin had his TFL, nine total tackles. They're getting guys who are making plays. So well, you know what's you know and what's a pick too and a pick for Baldwin. Is, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but somebody was somebody had mentioned that Eastern Michigan, who of course we talked about them a few weeks ago when the Aztecs played them. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many one score games they've played in a row this year, or just in general? It, this year, I don't know, so all, they all they, six. They, <laughs> well, no five, um, but, and that's only because they opened with a fifty-one to seventeen win against Monmouth. That doesn't count, does it? 
but they have played six one-score games in a row, That's including cool. their game against San Diego State. Do you want to know what their record is in those games? They've won, what, two of them? I'm not looking at their record right now. What did it, what they, are, are they? they are two and four. Okay. So I think it's a really fascinating contrast, if only by you know wins and losses, because let's not forget, you know, Eastern Michigan did beat a pretty, I would say an okay to, to good Purdue team. Yeah. They lost by seven to a pretty good Buffalo team. Yeah, Buffalo's sitting six and one. Bulgeable three and zero in Mac. You know they they took San Diego State to the wire. They also took Northern Illinois to the wire, and they were able to to beat Toledo. They had kind of withstand a second half rally by the Rockets. So it, just by wins and losses, it's it's a really interesting portrait of how fortunes can change based on a handful of breaks. Yeah, because we talked about it in the past, it's really hard to sustain success in one-score games. You look at Utah Just State; as, they're the opposite. They're like one in fourteen in their past however many past three years. Yeah, and it's and it's really interesting to to look at the updated S and P Plus rankings because San Diego State is right above Colorado, and you know we talked about how in the past how Colorado hasn't really beaten anybody. Lost? Uh, did they and lose they, to USC? And they lost to USC last night. Okay, that's right. Yeah. So. They're both five and one, but they're right there, just outside the top fifty in S and P plus. Which you know, again, goes back to the the argument of you know how you beat people versus who you beat. Do you have? But, they, uh, but they're right next to each other anyway. Do you have? S&P, I just thought that was interesting. It, no, it is. Do you have S and P plus still up in front of you? I do. Where is Arizona State? Right now, Arizona State is fifty-seven, so they're six spots below San Diego State. Also, can I add something? Can we um? Tone it down on saying we beat two. You beat two ranked teams when neither teams ranked anymore. Can we? What's your official ruling on that? Because you can play a ranked team when you play them, but end of the season, what if they're not ranked? How? What's your? Um, how would you mark that up? I would say, if maybe if they're also if they're still in the also receiving votes range, that you could talk about it. But I I'm of the opinion that if a team falls to like 500 or below. Then you know. Then you've stop beaten, talking about. I would it. say. Then I would say at most you've beaten an okay team. It's like you know if you beat, you know if you upset a top twenty-five team in week one, but they end up going like four and eight. You can't go back and say, yeah, well you beat a ranked team. No, you beat a four and eight team. You wonder the best example of that is, especially around in my my neck of the woods. So BYU, which the we'll, relevance will talk about them. They beat mm-hmm. Pitt in nineteen eighty-four. Pitt was, mm-hmm. I think, a top five or top ten team, ended up being winning like three games that year. Yeah, and so it's stuff like that where, and at the moment with um, neither Boise State or Arizona State getting votes, um, I rule in favor of you. Aztecs cannot say they beat ranked teams until they climb back in there. Or can't well, they can't tell those wins of anything special at the moment. Because if you extend it to also receiving votes, then what you're saying is you've beaten a top forty team, essentially, and that and that I think is still a viable argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah, that's that's fair. It's just I just get the arguments like we be ranked teams. I'm like, I yeah, but Arizona State's three and three. Boise's still good, but not great. They and then I compared to Utah State. I'm like they're scoring 55 points a game. Did you know? Well, well, I'll save my staff for the Aggies talk. But man, it's like I it's like I'm trying to defend two things I agree with. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Aztecs are good. They're five and one. They're getting votes in the poll. Are they the best team right now? I would say no, but they're winning, and it's hard. To, it's the reason NC State, Cincinnati, USF, all these teams that have zeros and loss column keep moving up because they don't have a loss. It's hard to knock the Aztecs because they're winning, 
and they're winning. Who cares if they're winning by four points or 25 points or 85,000 points? They're doing mm-hmm. it with backups in there and they're still winning. That's all that matters. Yeah. At the end of the day, here's the thing. If the Aztecs go and win the rest of the way, whether Chapman comes back, Washington comes back for however many games, if they go 12-1, and one, they're going to be in position to get the New York Six bid if something goes wild in the American Conference because USF plays UCF, Cincinnati. Don't they all play each other, right? They do in the last couple weeks yeah, of the year. They all play each other. USF plays UCF the final week of the year. If something goes wonky, Aztecs are sitting pretty if they happen to do go 12-1. and one. Will they? I'll probably lean toward no because that's still hard, but it doesn't matter. They will be the highest-ranked team because they already are in the Mountain West to get votes in the polls. They will be there at the end of the day if they went out to take care of business. They'll mm-hmm. be in the running. I can still say they may not be as dominant as Utah State, but they're still the better team that keeps winning. It just happened. It just happens to be Aztecs. It's the poll thing. Aztecs happen to be considered higher up than Utah State. Utah State's coming from the bottom where people thought they'd win like seven games, and now they're the most fun, most fun team to watch in the conference. See here, here. Can I just throw one more thing out there mm-hmm. before maybe we move on? I know. Yeah, maybe game talk. <laughs> um, it, you know, so I've talked about how it's you know the argument is somehow you know who you beat versus how you beat them. If you go to Football Outsiders, what they do is they break it down not only by S and P plus rankings. But they break it down by offensive and defensive S&P Plus. They do. Which you can also find that on Bill Connolly's stat profiles when they come back up. I think they'll be back up in a day or two. But I just want to throw this out there because you know, I think it tells you a lot about how San Diego State is beating people. So by by defensive S&P Plus, do you want to take a guess where they are? I will because I know they are number two in the country in points allowed per game. I believe mm-hmm. they're number two. I would say they're a top, top 15 team. They are seventh. Okay, I was right. In, in in defensive S and P plus, they they're, also have special teams S and P plus. By the way, they're twenty eighth in that regard. Do you want to know where they are on offensive S and P plus right now? Triple digits, one hundred and eleven. There you go. So I mean, so I've, mentioned that, I've, men- I've mentioned I've mentioned it on, on I've mentioned it on Twitter about how why why Wyoming or not excuse me Wyoming Hawaii is dragging a little bit by S and P plus. Oh, geez, defense. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's basically the opposite of that. San Diego State has sensational defense and they have sensational special teams. But the offense is going to need to do some work if they want to keep clawing their way to the top of the Mountain West. All right, really quick, where's Utah State? I, I'm trying to get there, but my computer's taking a second. Uh, overall, Utah State is 20. In offense? Uh, 15. Okay, all right, all right, just curious. All right, let's get to game. So we go to the next game, I guess, after we banter about that stuff. Uh Again. I mean, I think it's I think it's a conversation worth having. It is because because I think each of these three teams that we'll talk about throughout the course of this podcast, they all have their merits. I think that's pretty clear at this oh, point. Oh, clearly, and even Boise State because they're law. Lo- uh, well, yeah, we'll get to them later because they play Utah State. Let's yes. go to um. Let's just go to that game right now, right? Should we go to UNLV Utah State? Uh, yeah, let's do that. We, we can we can I know Army we can do what we, we can do what we want. I know Army started thirty minutes earlier in Levi Stadium, but we'll go to UNLV Utah State. All right, um, I'm gonna call it Jordan Love's gonna be Player of the Week again on offense, even though he played what barely three quarters. He was among the week's winners. If you haven't looked at that article yet, you should. Yeah, check that out. That was up a little bit later in the afternoon, but still worth always worth reading. Fifty nine twenty eight. Would it? Can I? Can I just say? That that might be the most deceptive fifty-nine to twenty-eight game you'll ever see in your life. Too close. It should have been a blowout, even more so. Uh, you and I—that sounds ridiculous to say, but if you didn't watch that game, Utah State actually did give opportunities away, and you know it wasn't just that you know Dominic ever really missed two makeable field goals, mm-hmm. you know from from twenty-seven and thirty-five yards. You know they 
were a little sluggish in that first quarter, at least in the first half of that first quarter. They were losing and 7-0. They actually did lose 7 and And UNLV, to their credit, did look pretty good on their first drive mm-hmm. um, because they were able to stay balanced. They had the Utah State defense on its heels, surprisingly. And, you know, they went nine plays, 57 yards, took a lead. And that was about it for the Rebels. Yeah, I tuned in at the right time because this game, I was doing a few things on the bat. I'm like, oh, it's 7-7, interesting. Or no, 7-0. I'm like, oh, what, what's going on? Then I see touchdown, quick punt, touchdown, interception, touchdown, punt. Did you see that special teams touchdown? Mm-hmm. Blocked punt, pick it up, or yeah. Yeah, yeah. Took it right out of his hands, Took right it out. off his foot. It's like, dude, boom. It was 20. 20- do you see, do you oh, see this was- drive chart? Which, what, what part of it? The, first the, the, the time of possession drive chart. Um, what do you mean? Two touchdowns, 24 seconds, two plays a touchdown, four yeah, so, plays, 59 seconds a touchdown. Yeah, so two two minutes and 21 seconds, 27 seconds, 24 seconds, zero seconds, 59 <laughs> seconds. The longest one was 10 plays, 75 yards for four minutes and 57 seconds. It was literally like blink Boom. and you miss it. That's like what it if was, you, if, yeah. if you changed tabs from Facebook or you went from you went from Facebook to Twitter to like tweet something I about had that game, there was a really good chance that you <laughs> missed, missed Utah State scoring. I even it tried was... to do the split screen on the tab, but Facebook wouldn't cooperate because it'd bring up the comments. So I went to my half screen of Twitter to tweet something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I it was it was ridiculous. And. UNLV, here's the okay. I'm I'm debating. I haven't done my bowl projection yet because we're recorded Sunday night, so I'm not gonna have them out till Monday. I'm I don't think UNLV's in there. They've been there before, but with let's look at the well, actually let's do this. The Max Gilliam. He bounced back a bit. Fifty percent, eighteen and thirty six, three touchdowns, two fifty, two hundred and fifty yards a pick. But it's all in the second half. There was basically the fourth quarter, really. Well, but, yes and no. I mean, because he, uh, if you look at it by quarter, he was actually seven of ten for sixty yards in that first quarter. They oh, were that's only right. down fourteen to seven. It was really after that that things kind of fell apart. Uh, and he, and yeah. even then, he only had the, the opportunity to throw the ball five times True. as Utah State scored twenty eight points in the second quarter. I was looking at the points on his, whatever. I whatever. Okay, here's the thing. Um, what are they gonna do at running back? Because Lexington Thomas, um, oh, actually no. Should we just can we call it the draw the draw plays when we were down by like forty points? Well, okay. So let, let's this game was this. crazy. I, I don't know what to make. I see random draw plays. I see quarterbacks doing okay, doing bad. UNLV is like, I don't know. For me, like Utah State preseason, I have no idea what to make of them now because they don't seem to know what they're doing half the time or do it well outside of uh, I don't know nobody. I'll say it. Okay, so here's the thing. You know, in that first half, they actually did run the ball more than they threw it, which I think you and I both thought that yeah, was what they needed to duh. do to try to survive in that game. Yeah, do that. Keep the clock. It was, it was just that they weren't doing it that successfully. And a lot of that did come to Lex, Lex Thomas. You know, in that first half, he only had 51 yards, you know, and, and half of that came on one run. So we had like a, one, a long of 23 in that first half. You know, they did have one big play from Evan Owens for 29. Mm-hmm. And that was about it. You know, they were only three of nine on first downs in that first half. And I think they were trying to make an honest effort to keep the ball out of Jillian's hands as much as they, they could, especially since Utah State's defense showed up to play. They sacked him three times in that first half, too. It's just. 
I mean, I don't know that there's a good answer because every time Jillian tried to throw the ball down the field, he was just nowhere close to hitting his receivers. Oh, yeah, he was overthrowing, underthrowing. It was ridiculous. So it was. It, so to a certain extent, I can understand why you would just try to run the ball because you know that's your strength. And even though you're fighting a losing battle, it was just, you know, it was really tough to watch. And especially on the heels of coming out and questioning his team's toughness and Thomas in particular, you know, watching him basically get driven into the ground by two Utah state defenders and come out of the game with what looked to me like a head injury looked to a lot of people like a head injury. It just was not a good look for Tony Sanchez. No. And, and while Thomas did come out on Twitter later and say that he's, he's feeling okay. I'm assuming we'll get more official words sometime throughout the week. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it just it it had the optics to me as someone who was watching the game as just an offense that had basically given up because they had no good options against this Utah State defense. Okay, here's a a quote from Sanchez that really kind of sums up the game. Well, first off, they like we shot ourselves in the foot. Yeah, they did a few times, but I don't think that would have made a difference. But he's like, we got a guy that jumps offside on defense. You can't stop. Uh, our corner stopped playing the ball because they didn't get said the whistle didn't blow. Uh, it's a free touchdown. Then we've got a guy who slides the wrong way on a punt protection. Let the TD right there. It's another free mm-hmm. touchdown. We make a bad read again and throw a pick inside the 30. 21 points they gave up without doing anything. And that's true. Had they not given up those three opportunities, that makes the game much closer, but it still wouldn't have. Because who's to say? Look how fast Utah State scores. Who's to say they get the punt off? Utah State goes. Um, 65 yards and still gets a touchdown instead of it being like 59 28 maybe it's like uh 45 21 you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like they still could have scored on those chances they just have to be super quick scores so and it's you know they're in a world of hurt like i don't like to bring it lightly but is sanchez having issues of being around next year we kind of hinted last week but they just got creamed they were not even in this game at all. even when they played well they only had a handful of plays you mentioned a couple running plays they had to what Woods had like 130 receiving yards, but overall this team is kind of going backwards. It looks like. I mean, it definitely does, and it, it's not going to get any easier. For, I mean, maybe it does get a little easier in the immediate future. You know, Air Force looks vulnerable, San Jose State looks vulnerable, but there's they excuse me, they still have to face basically all of the other teams in the division that are clearly better than them in November. And would you say if, Nevada is in that group better than them? I would, yeah. Okay. We'll talk about them more, you know, in their game against Boise. But, yeah, I think right now Nevada is clearly better than UNLV. And I know I came into the season thinking that it would be the other way around. And it just seems like clearly without Rodgers, and I hate to go back to it, and I think Tony Sanchez and pretty much every other UNLV fan would hate to go back to it too. But, you know, they were just dominated. You know, they, they had, you know, a huge disadvantage as far as field position. They, you know, took advantage of their scoring opportunities when they had them in garbage time. I guess you can give them credit for that. But I mean, in this particular instance too, the defense just had no answer for Jordan Love. And I feel no, bad no, that no team does. Not, no I feel team bad does. That maybe we're not talking about the Utah State offense at all because they came out and aside from those kind of early hiccups, they demolished UNLV. On offense. You want to talk efficient? He was seven to twenty-three, five TDs, three three twenty-two in the air. They have two of the best running backs in the conference, and even in receiving. Like, look at um, what's his name? Um, who is it? Um, um sorry, Jalen Green. Sorry, I tried to think for a minute. 
it's like his biggest game in, in forever. Five for 132 touchdown. They are just throwing the ball. Where Kevin Tarver had two touchdowns. They threw to, what, 13 receivers, I believe, 14 receivers. Even El Toro Allen, backup running back, third running back, got a catch. Mm-hmm. Nobody could do anything wrong on this offense for the most part. They are, again, that's why I'm saying. And then the defense, seven total sacks. You mentioned, what, three in the first half, 11 mm-hmm. TFLs, three hurries. This is, that's why I said that guy on Twitter, this is the most dominant team of the conference. And I don't think it's close. I mean, I think you're right. It doesn't mean the best team. They're playing who they play, but they are number two in the country in scoring. You know who scores more points than them? Alabama. Yep. That's it. Nobody else. <laughs> Just that's saying. crazy. That's that's pretty good company, right? If they're one, they are only, um, I think Houston might be at 50 points per game. They may have dropped down. I don't recall what their score was this weekend. But mm-hmm. league, going this weekend, it was, it was Alabama, Utah State, Houston were the only three teams scoring 50 or more per game. And even though Utah State got almost 60, they're still uh, – correct. They are still the only two teams Houston dipped down. 53.6 for Alabama, 51.7 for Utah State. They, like, they're not – they're good. They score points. That's all I can say. They are beating teams to a degree. This – okay, I'm going to be going to limb. This is the best Utah State team ever right now. Ever. Ever? This is their best start since 1978. Mm-hmm. Going five and one, unless they have some weird team with Merlin, Ol- Merlin Olson that went like nine and zero back in the day, <laughs> or something. This this has the making to be their best team ever. Well, there's a big difference between saying this is the making of being their best team ever and this is their best team ever. We're still only halfway through the year, so I think yeah. that, I'd say they at the moment. Why not? So, and maybe I can go back to this point about what we were talking about earlier about who versus how you beat people right yeah, that's a big and mm-hmm. and it's and i think i should mention it with utah state in particular because bill Connolly earlier on twitter was getting a little bit salty about that whole thing you know because he was saying that tough being you know, bill. kind of kind of sarcastically that that humans underestimate destroying bad teams because good I'm... teams should be able to destroy bad teams so and... i think is what he was trying to say so you know like we talked about earlier their their strength of schedule is not as impressive as San Diego State's, right? But if you look at what they've done in the breakdown of S&P Plus, on off, so overall they're 20th, right? On offense, they're 15th. On defense, they're 51st. And on special teams, they're 17th. So they are a complete team doing what a complete team should be able to do against inferior competition. And... You know, when you look ahead to their immediate schedule, you know, they have Wyoming and uh, Utah State in the next couple of weeks. I really don't see that changing at all. <laughs> all right. You know, because this offense has just been so efficient. You know, in this game, you know, I talked a lot about success rate in the past. They were at 57%. So they were just doing what they needed to do in pretty much every situation imaginable. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip your lid here real quick. Okay. So you mentioned you mentioned how dominant they are. Schedule be damned. Who cares? They're beating. Like you said, good teams should be winning like this. Mm-hmm. Let me go back to the Crimson Tide. Are they dominating teams in, a, in an orderly fashion? Yeah. Have they played the toughest schedule to date? You think? Oh no, no. I think the toughest schedule, if I don't, if I remember correctly, it's UCLA. Okay. Ironically, yeah. Yes. <laughs> actually, actually, you know what? By, I should correct myself. By Sagarin, UCLA is now second. I'm trying to scroll down and see who's number one. Okay, I'm, I, I go to B, BCF Choice because that's a really good tool to use. 
because they have um, actually right now. Well, I'm not going to mention this. Mention this. They have a couple different things here. It's part of FEI, so they kind of this football study hall stuff too. Brian Femoral. So they have strength to schedule, PSOS, which is um, strength to schedule rating. The, you know, sorry, um, against uh, p- opponents played to date. Yeah. So not not the SOS, but here's how exactly the wording: strength to schedule ratings against opponents played to date is PSOS. Mm-hmm. Remaining S scheduling is SRSOS. So if you go to their website, I want to give you a guess. The PSOS, which means opponents played only to date, where would you say Alabama's strength to schedule ranks? Probably in like the 70s. 107. Yeah, that sounds about Why right. Why are people giving them crap? Just because they're Alabama? I'm just saying. Well, I'm I know. Not, I'm not saying Utah State is good to them, clearly. I'm not saying that at all. But they're destroying teams as they should, and it gets worse competition. They're in the bottom 20%. By the way, uh, fun fact, uh, or I don't know if it's a fun fact or not, top three toughest schedules uh, by Sagarin right now, Iowa State, UCLA, and Nebraska. All right. That's that's a 3-3 three and three team and 2-0-6, oh or 1-1-5 one, one, one team and an 0-6 oh team, <laughs> which I think is kind of hilarious. <laughs> that is pretty funny. But I just wanted to point that out. I'm like, how many of you Alabama is that and who they played to date? So they're – don't give Utah State crap for beating who they beat, and they're beating them by 30-plus points every single game. Oh, also, Utah State still played a tougher schedule than UCF. Oh, burr. Oh, jeez. It, it's true. Come on, Memphis. What were you doing? Jeez. What were they doing? I'm still mad about that. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people out there still mad about that. We'll, we'll move on. Hey, we got time. We got time. All right, next game. Let's see. So we're going to – okay. Uh, hey, guess what? We'll make up time on this game, Matt, because Army 52, San Jose State 3. <laughs> <laughs> I had the misfortune of watching more of this game than I probably should have. I saw you took some screenshots of some over of some nice catches. That's true, and 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 I did that because for for some time you it looked like San Jose State was going to be competitive in this game, and then the fumble started, <laughs> and then the offense stopped moving. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, I think it mostly just came down to turnovers because obviously, because Montel Aaron, who we've talked about, is wondering why he's not getting starts. You know, he did start this game because Josh Love was out with a concussion, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, he was 12 of 17, 118 yards. So, you know, he, he was fine. They didn't actually get that many chances to run plays. They only ran 48 plays in this game. We never do. How does Army score 52 points, man? They, Jeez, they hold the ball like a chokehold. Uh, well, you want to know why? <laughs> they scored every time they had the ball? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> yeah, so you know how we talked about earlier uh, Utah State's time of possession? Uh, if you go back and look at the drive chart for this game, you know, Army had you know one drive over four, four minutes, about four and a half minutes. They had one that was about five minutes, one that was about six minutes, and one that was about six and a half minutes. Man, this is up-tempo Army football. Yeah, and and those don't even include the ones that, uh, oh, by the way, they had short fields for all of them. Yeah. You they... Know, they, start, they started on four separate drives at the San Jose State 19, the San Jose State 10, the San Jose State 35, and their own 48. And they scored a touchdown on every single one of them. And they scored 24 points off turnovers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, go Spartans. Spartan up, right? Is that what they do? It? Spartans up? I believe the official hashtag is let's go. Even that's kind of lame. Yeah, and I mean, I think, but I think. <laughs> let's go home. Let's go rest. What do I do? Let's go. Let's get out of here. 
I mean, I think it's disappointing because, you know, we've saw some of their strengths or what I consider to be some of their strengths emerge in the last couple of weeks. And so some of the some of the things on the stat sheet when everything was said and done just ended up being really disappointing. Like the one glaring thing that jumps out to me, zero tackles for loss. And that was something that I had thought that they'd be able to offer some kind of resistance to Army. And it wasn't as though, <laughs> excuse me, that, you know, they needed to do that much, but Arby just kind of pushed them around all game long. You know, the top three of, uh, of Hopkins, Cam Thomas, and Darnell Woolfork averaged about six, six and a half yards per carry, I'd say. You know, they were 10 of 16 on third downs. And of course, they had all of the uh, all the turnovers. They also, Army also forced five sacks on the afternoon. Yeah. Oh, and 10 tackles for loss, which yeah. is... I mean, that seems a little bit uncharacteristically like, <laughs> unlike Army. But and, they were able to, yeah. to just manhandle this offense that was starting to show something in the last couple of weeks. So I think if I'm a Spartans fan, I'm really disappointed by this result. And the time possession wasn't that far, was not what Army normally does, 37-22. Yeah. It wasn't too bad. It was that, uh, oh man, 3-3 three three on fourth down, can't have that, 10-16. Um, like I said, no sacks, 5 for Army. So my stat I was looking for... 15,627 paid attendance. <laughs> Who's well, I mean, at least, they, at least they got a nice afternoon. Hope so. Yeah, it looks, looks nice weather. I assuming there's more Army fans and Spartans fans there. That's I, a really good question. I don't know. I didn't really tune into this game because I saw the score. I'm like, pass. Sorry, folks. I can't watch every game and I have to pick and choose and this is at the bottom of my list. So, all right. Um, anything else you want to add to this game? Are we good? And maybe, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Spartans. Oh, I brought this up. Let me ask you this, because I was on with our our old buddy, Tyler Bischoff, used to write for us, now does stuff for what, ESPN in Las Vegas, a radio show he has. Mm-hmm. I joined his show the other day. Next week, or two weeks from now, are the Spartans, we we joked, but he they were sort of serious. Spartans won win of the year, could be hosting the UNLV. Could be. So, do you th- what do you think about that currently, as we're sitting uh, two weeks away? Uh... Can I just leave it at that? You can go toss up, or you know, I guess that, that's no, that's a good answer because that describes both teams perfectly at the moment. I mean, I guess I would make UNLV a slight favorite in that game, but I wouldn't be totally confident about that. I know, maybe that's a game we should actually focus in on quite a bit to see how bad it is. But all right, so let's take a we'll do this. We'll take a quick timeout. We need to recharge because that first little bit was action packed, I guess. So yeah, we'll see you back in a minute, folks. New Mexico on the road at Colorado State. Nearly had the victory. This close. This close. And they could thank and also not thank a certain uh, player for Colorado State. Wyatt Mm Bryan. Wyatt Bryan. He's had a pretty adventurous year, has he not? Yeah. He also missed an 18-yard field goal. I did not get to see that. I kind of <laughs> wish I had. Yeah, that was uh, – when was that? Because I went back and kind of blasted to watch this game. It was – here's the thing. That was in the – that was with two and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They're down, 18 to 17. First of all, why not punch it in? That's a good question. Here's that last – And there. I think a lot of Colorado State fans were asking that same question. Here's how that last drive – or the last how the last few plays went. They had a nice third and two – uh, three yard run so it's first and goal at the eight they false um false start penalty uh, wait false start penalty what is this 
this ESPN drive chart's terrible. It tells them they move forward five yards. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, no, second and three. Oh, they listed the play twice. So they get first and eight. Um, they get second and three after the pass, and they get penalty second and eight. Then they get a on stat second and 13, a nice pass. Third and goal at the one. What is illegal participation? Do you know what that is? Uh, Too many men on the field, maybe? I would think so. Okay. So, first they have second and goal. To, uh, sorry, third and goal at the one. They run it for no gain. Timeouts. Why are you going for the field goal? I don't, I don't get it. Why not punch it in? You're losing. I get it, but one yard. I could stretch my arm out. That's one yard. Can Izzy Matthews not get one yard? Can Carter Samuels not sneak for one yard? So here's maybe a couple of explanations that I could that I could put out there for you. The defense, for for as maligned it as as it has been, you know, just about week in and week out here on this podcast and in, in other corners of the Mountain West universe, they did play pretty well, all things considered. You know, they were outgained on a per-play basis, but New Mexico only got to run 55 plays, and they held the Lobos to a 40% success rate, which is, you know, for as as good as the as New Mexico looked in the last couple of games, or maybe more accurately, the last six quarters that they had played, that's pretty substantial. You know, and they were able to put together a few sacks. They had eight tackles for loss as a team, they had forced a couple turnovers. And so maybe they just had confidence that said they, they could say, okay, if we're going to take this lead and we're going to trust the defense to hold them down. <laughs> and and maybe to echo what you had said, you know, can Izzy Matthews get one yard? I mean, they had kind of struggled to run the ball all afternoon. Matthews did have 92 yards on the ground, but he had to carry it 26 times to get there and yeah and that, that's 13. only three and a half that's only three and a half yards per carry so you know they had played a pretty tough game up front and you know in the same way that we talked about colorado state's defense really stepping up you know new mexico state wasn't quite as disruptive but aaron blackwell had been wrecking people all afternoon two sacks three and a half tackles for loss you know cody baker had three hits on kj carter samuels so maybe they just took a look at that situation and and maybe just determined that they didn't want to ask too much of an offense that had been a little bit hit or miss on the afternoon. Yeah, also, but did you see that kind of trick play they did early in the game for the one-yard touchdown? Oh, uh, the quarterback sneak? No, it wasn't the sneak. It was the uh, fake fake dive. I do not recall that It was one. a fake dive, and then they had Carter Samuels roll out wide open in the bottom just to walk it in. Mm-hmm. So they had, here's the thing. You have that play in the book. You've already run the play. They've seen that play. Now, I'm not an offensive coordinator, but what I'm thinking is if you have that play once, you're not going to run the play again. His options are, you have a couple options if you think about it, with that play already been on, they've seen it today. You can run the exact same play, which is risky because they'll be watching Carter Samuels rolling out. Um, they're already going to stack the box because you've got the running back over the top. Why not do the same play but maybe do a short pass? Do a bootleg, do the exact same play, but you have a passing option mixed in. That way you have everything covered because not that New Mexico is not going to know what's coming, but you've already ran that one play. And if you run the same look, same setup, have Carter Samuels still roll out, but have somebody coming across, say, the top left tight end who goes behind the back of the end zone. 
so it's going to a rolling pass to the corner of the right end zone. I'm just saying, with that one play early in the game, why not try that? I don't know. It's uh, But you're right. The running game wasn't going extremely well. And also, think about too, hey, our kicker's pretty good. Any kicker on our team should make an 18-yard field goal. There's that as well. Well, I mean, and let's put it this way. Before that missed field goal attempt, they had only two drives that went more than 31 yards. And th- that happened to be their their kind of long touchdown drive in the second quarter, 16 plays, 96 yards. Mm-hmm. And then the, the field goal drive before that, which was eight plays and 71 yards. Beyond that, you know, their their first score was set up by a short field they, because they recovered a fumble. So there were really long stretches of this game where the offense just was ineffective on all fronts. Yeah, there's also, I'm trying to remember when it was, but there was a pass in this game that would have been a touchdown, I believe, for Preston Williams. That basically would have changed the game. I'm trying to recall. So looking at that before, because I didn't catch most of this game. I was going to skim through some of it. But there was a certain play where they're like, it was a pass he just dropped, and they didn't get it in there. I'm trying to see if it's in our, pre- our recap as well. Yeah. Well, here's what it is. Um, there's at some point when it was um, Rams. Um, let me see here. Sorry, I'm trying to read our recap as we're going through here. Yeah, Rams start off with a bang. Quick New Mexico turnover led to Carter Samuels to Preston Williams' touchdown to put up 7-0. 30 seconds into the game. Williams later dropped the surefire touchdown, which led to further drops the game. But that could have been the difference to be up 21-0 mm-hmm. instead of 14-0 and 14-3. So make that one catch. We don't, we're not talking about this what if at the one-yard line. Yeah. But they, they give him credit, too. You say the, the Rams' offense was stymied all day in that second half. That final drive, amazing. 11 plays, 60, what, 65 yards, two minutes after the defense forced a three and out for the Lobos. Go down and kick a field goal. Like, made it look easy from uh, 26 yards, which it should be. But, man, they had a nice passes to tight end Cameron Butler. They were going down the field. They had um, let's see, I think there's a pass interference at some point early on in that drive. So give them huge props for coming back. And not folding, especially the kicker, to get a second chance at the victory. Yeah, I mean, in the same way that Air Force and San Diego State wasn't necessarily pretty, you know, one team got it done when it counted, and that, and in this particular instance, that was Colorado State. Yeah, and you think with the way the Lobos offense goes, they couldn't just um, see how much time was left in the clock. Let me see real quick. There was like two and a half minutes, and they do a twenty-eight second drive. I know there's timeouts involved, obviously. The Rams used two of those, but. Why is Sherry on Jones throwing on third and five? I mean, without having been able to see the game, I couldn't tell you. And the, here's the thing, too. Rams have still had one timeout left. They were able to save their timeout. They were going to call that timeout how they either completed it inbounds or stopped, whatever it was. A timeout was coming more often than not, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Unless they got a first down, well, two seventeen, they probably still have called it. Had they got a first down, anyways, but why not run it? Force them to call a timeout. This st- st- clock is still two fifteen left. Maybe they get two yards or something, a short running play. They go up a yard or two. That gives the Rams about two minutes with no timeouts. Mm-hmm. Not saying they couldn't go down the field and get it, but also the Lobos helped them out as well by calling a timeout after a running play. What are they doing? Did you see that? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> I'm just saying, what are the Lobos doing here? Why is Bob Davey passing the ball on third down when you're up by a point? And yes, you need five yards, but what's more important? Clock lead? I mean, like, yes, five yards, it's kind of risky to run it, but you take away a valuable asset for the for the Rams, and you still have a timeout in your end as well in case they like the situation. They want to get the ball back. Maybe that's why they call the timeout, but... Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me what what the Lobos and Bob Dave were thinking. But 
Rams are now three and four. Should I? Uh, I'm still trying to debate as we're going through the show to de- decide who I should put in for the uh, final two, final spot or two in the bowl situation. Because they you know, go to you know what's most interesting now. What is Colorado State now has a chance to solidify their their grasp on second place in the Mountain Division next week against Boise State. No, they're not going to. They're both they're both two and one. I'm just saying there there's a chance. I'm not saying it's a particularly good chance. Um, have you looked at the early lines of that game yet? Uh, I saw them this afternoon and I posted them on Twitter, but I do not remember what it was off the top um, of my head. I wish I saw our post. I'd go to somebody else's, but Rams are a 28-point underdog. I mean, that sounds about right. I'm just saying. Technically, they're, they're on the field together, so there's a 50-50 chance they could win. A pretty win, you know, ugly wins still count as wins. <sighs> yeah, but they're not going to. I guess we'll find out. We'll yeah. talk about it more uh, later in the week. I guess so. Actually, it's 24 now. Sorry, it's changed. Gotcha. It was 23, but still, that's all the points. All right, so where are we going next year? Uh, let's go to oh, – well, we're going to the nightcaps, right? Yeah. got to, um, People were kind of upset about my power pole because they go, here's a break. Is Utah State any good? <laughs> so, so since we mentioned Boise State, let's go to that game, Boise State, Nevada. Oh, boy. Bad Bear Ribbon was alive and well, but it didn't cost him a game. Bad, I mean, bad or erratic, though. That's gonna be some more things, right? Three because I think because I think he he made some big time throws in this game. True. He it be, wasn't the, it wasn't the prettiest bear ripping game we've ever seen. They could they don't have to be mutually exclusive those two events. Three That's pick, true. Three picks is bad. Yeah, I would guess I would say that. Yeah. But then again, you have guys who catch like I said catching balls like whatever they call animal hands are doing weird stuff on defense to get those picks. Like mm-hmm. Tyler Horton, which still the game that 99-yard TD, who was one of your uh, big players of the week. Now, they did fine, but, again, I told you, don't people call me out. Nevada's going to give him a game, and Nevada could have had this one. I mean, I think you're right. They McLean Mannix had, what, 109 yards, a touchdown. Ty Ganji played, looked pretty good. Could have been a little bit more efficient instead of going 24-42. Running game was toned down quite a bit, which is uh, – now what they want to do offensively, but they had chances to get this game. They had to, was it Baber had what two touchdowns or excuse me, two picks, I believe they had a mm-hmm. pick six, but then you also have a missed field goal. You give up a, uh, interception return for touchdown. So Nevada, well, they had, their, they had chances in this game too. So don't give up a pick six from your own end zone or from the, from the 99 yards. Do not give up a pat touchdown pass for the other way for 99 yards. Yeah. And I think when you look at the big difference in this game, you know, what we talked about in the past, scoring opportunities, which is basically just how well do you do once you cross the 40. Nevada actually got into that situation more frequently than Boise State did. They had eight scoring two opportunities to Boise State's five. The big difference, though, was that points per trip, Boise State 4.8, Nevada 3.3. And so... Just putting it another way, if you look at how they won the turnover battle, barely, they scored the exact same number of points off turnovers. And I think Nevada needed to do a little bit more when they had a short field, and they just couldn't get it done. Because it changes. Like Boise had 108 yards of penalty yards. Defense played. Nevada defense played pretty good. And they had a giant sealed position advantage as a, as a result. They, they were yeah. uh, among the games that were played yesterday. Uh, if you go look at the the list of the five factors box scores, 
Nevada was third overall, plus 17 and a half as far as field position. Yeah, they, uh, but a couple of things like 11 of 18 on third down allowed. They only go 5 of 13. Mm-hmm. They were all gained by a lot of yards, but they don't make some of these mistakes. Like the pick six was the game sealer in the fourth quarter. The, nobody scored in the fourth quarter. That fourth, That's there, true. There were uh, chances to get some of those all. Boise, they even had an interception. Burr up and threw his third pick in that. Um, or no, sorry, is that the other way around? I hate this freaking box score. But regardless, nobody, <laughs> it's like it says Boise State interception, but I, oh, I open it up. Um, that says Alexander Madison runs for four yards. They did it, uh, whatever. It's at the end. It's in between a freaking quarter. Jeez, why do they make it so weird to look at? I what box score should I be looking at, Matt? To go, you should look? be looking at College Press Box. That's probably the best idea. I, I use that quite a bit, or or even Sat Broadcast would be fine. But here's the thing. Nevada's defense came up big. They go down. It ended up being like a super, extremely long drive. 12 plays, almost seven minutes, six and a half minutes there. Pick off Brett Rippin. They get the ball to midfield. You're at midfield, trail Boise by four, at home. You can't get it done? That's like the not. That's like the ideal scenario, right? I'm, I mean, I think we need to give more credit to Boise State's defense because yeah, they, ha- they had multiple gut checks in this game. And, oh, by the way, now they're missing three starters, if I'm not mistaken. Because, you know, not only is, you know, David Mullen and DeAndre Pierce out for the year, mm-hmm. Sonatani Louis' status, I believe, is up in the air. That'd you know, he, yes. he missed time with an injury. So, yeah, and, and thank God they got Tyler Horton back. <laughs> yeah, he scored some points for him. Yeah, so it's just I am but I'm just saying the way the game ended up like nobody scored they get an interception they get the ball at midfield the interception was 30, was at 35 yards by Nephi Sowell getting the ball they get it near midfield and gain one yard and have to punt I'm just saying it, that's oh that, I, I know that's like the I'm not everything else happened in the game turnovers both teams scored some didn't uh, Nevada made plays Boise didn't Boise made plays Nevada didn't this is what you want against a team that's allegedly your biggest rival in the league, just about. Mm-hmm. Or they, whatever you say about UNLV, this is a game they probably want to win every time. You get the you get this scenario and you crap the bed essentially. Come on. So, are you saying overall then that Nevada lost this game more than Boise State won it? No, I'm just saying that last possession. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Nevada had the almost one of the most ideal situations to get the win, and they could, they did nothing with the ball because Boise State stopped them. I mean, I guess I would say you're right, but I would also say that Boise came through with like huge plays throughout the game. Oh, too. they did. Yeah, I'm just isolating that one scenario where that dry that sequence sequence of events, they kick a field goal. They're down, down, down by four. Boise goes long drive interception. No, I'm just saying, like when I'm looking at a key point, there are other key points like huge plays, great receptions by Boise State, moving the ball. But when you look at it this closely, it's like how close this game was because neither team played great. Seven total turnovers, 180 yards total penalties, about mm-hmm. 30, 40, third, 30, what 30 plus third down attempts, six to seven I think fourth down attempts going for it. This was not a clean game. It was quite ugly. Treason took forever to play as well. Mm-hmm. But Nevada had probably arguably the best chance to beat Boise State in a long time, and they did nothing because, like I said, Nevada didn't move the ball, and Boise stopped on that play, on that drive. I mean, I think that there's more to it, though. There is. No, there's a lot. I just, yeah, there's a lot more than just one play because I think seven I think turnovers, that, a lot of stuff happened. 
Boise's talent showed up exactly when they needed it. You yeah. know, and it wasn't it wasn't just like the ninety nine yard pick six from Horton. You know, let's not forget the fly sweep from John Hightower. Eighty eight yards. That dude is really good. Or it seems like he's doing at least one or two amazing things every week. Or let's talk about this. That last possession, Boise State, seventeen plays to to clock the game to kneel and win. Well, and just even essential. before that, even before that though, let's not forget the game winning touchdown from AJ Richardson. Yeah, there's that too. That also had a high degree of difficulty. So, you know, I think that it just kind of illustrates that things can hinge on like so many little things. Yeah. And that, you know, I think it's a testament to Boise State's talent that even though they didn't play a perfect game, um, I think they're. <laughs> what's funny is if you look at their post game win expectancy, I think it was only like 60 something percent for Boise. Yeah, uh, it was 74%. So it was only like a three and four chance in the way that this game unfolded that they would win that game. So I think it's a testament to their fortitude, their talent, and yeah. their, you know, there's just their ability to create opportunities for themselves. And, you know, they're maybe not in the driver's seat anymore, but they're still very dangerous. You know, it's I, I I had put out on Twitter yesterday about how trying to compare um, these Mountain West football contenders to different movie assassins. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that or not. I did not. I need to go find it. It was just it was like a dumb exercise that I had, but I compared I compared Boise State to uh, Javier Bardem's character in old, old No Country for Old Men. Okay. Anton Chigurh, mm-hmm. how he's just he's always coming. Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about Boise because even despite all the injuries, and oh by the way, now Chase Quarter's done for the year with a torn ACL. That's right, number two QB out. So, you know, Brett Rippon obviously didn't play his best game, but he played well enough to win. And we we had seen them try to incorporate Cord more week in and week out with different packages. Now it's all it's all back to falling on him and how well he plays. I think it's going to determine how far this team goes. Sure, maybe stick Hightower back there in Wildcat, whatever, for a couple of plays. He's pretty good. That would not surprise me. I mean, especially <laughs> since Alexander Madison's kind of continued to scuffle. They've they've run the ball maybe not as well as you might expect Boise State to run the ball. You know, and, and Madison only averaged two point nine yards per carry in this game. Yeah, I, I think Boise State Twitter has some big questions about their concern uh, about that. About that question, I think we should also point out that they did have two new starters along the line in the second half. Yeah, uh, John Ujuku and I forget the other guy's name, um, but I know Ujuku had replaced. I think he replaced Andres Preciado because a lot of people had had been. Uh, had a lot of consternation about his performance <laughs> in, in previous weeks. So that'll be something to watch too, how the depth chart changes, especially since Boise State's offense started clicking a little more consistently in that second half. All right. So, yeah, the, and we don't, there's more I can go into this game, like the uh, drive chart. But you're right. Talent came out on top, and Boise has more talent because yeah. they've been in situations not really like this, but they you know what it gets on. Like there could have been a stretch where – Things could have gotten hairy. Like, say, like, a couple things that swung the game went open. Say there's not a pick six by Tyler Horton. Say there's a touchdown for Nevada. That's a big swing as well because uh, mm-hmm. I guess what we know now, Nevada also missed a field goal after that opportunity. So, yeah, 14-10 sucked. It could have been 
Because you look at the rest of the way, the game, punt, punt, fumble for Boise, Nevada takes that for points. There's mm-hmm. a lot of small things that could have made a difference in this game. It's just Boise came out on top. All right, should we go to uh, my worst call of the week or worst call of the year? Don't you mean our worst call uh, of the week? Okay, yes, I'll include you in that if you're willing to jump on board with me. I, I will acknowledge <laughs> when my takes go sideways. BYU 49, uh, Hawaii 23. So this was one of those games I didn't get a chance to watch. And just in looking at the drive chart and in looking at kind of the the stat sheet, was this like another instance where Hawaii was just, you know, they were this close to getting it going and just never could? No. No? No. I watched a good portion of this game. I watched it Sunday morning. So first of all, Zach Wilson did get to start for BYU, which led to a lot of energized uh, play which mm-hmm. may or may not last the weeks going forward. And as we've seen BYU play before, I don't think we were out of line saying Hawaii should have won this game. Also, side note, Hawaii still has never won in Provo. Mm-hmm. So, but when you look at because here's what we knew about BYU. Quarterback wasn't really the issue with Tanner Mangum. He was doing just fine. Because Zach Wilson, yeah, three touchdown passes. He had a pick. Only 16-24 for 194. Okay, two freshmen, that's, that's solid, and a touchdown run on the ground as well. So he did well overall. He wasn't he wasn't just kind of air it out in what BYU's normally done. But the running game had no nothing was going on for the running game because Squally Canada has the ankle slash concussion or both injuries. Mm-hmm. Receivers weren't really catching the ball. A little bit better with guys like Talon Shumway and Matt Bushman a week prior. Defense could do nothing. Like they were arm tackling. They couldn't do a dang thing against anybody. And mm-hmm. so what does Hawaii do well? Okay, they go up tempo, go quick. What do Utah State do? Same thing, score points. Utah State runs the ball well. Hawaii can typically run the ball well. That was not happening for Hawaii. So it was a lot where BYU was having to, which I knew BYU would score points regardless who was a quarterback. But their offensive line pushed around BYU's, uh, or excuse me, BYU pushed around Hawaii's defensive line. Matt Hadley, who keeps switching from linebacker to running back every other week, had 91 yards and nine carries. Huh. Um, Katoa, uh, he changed names. I think he's now Lemmy Katoa. I covered Lapina. Sorry, Lapina, not Lemmy. I remember him from when I did high school, covering high school sports. He was at a local school here pretty good. He had a huge game. Nobody expected him to take have that many carries and be as good. They have all these different guys running the ball. That was part of it too. And then Hawaii does what Hawaii does. We're at midfield. It's fourth and fourth and whatever. We'll go for it. Stuff like that where, like the Army game, where they go for fourth and short, they go for it instead of punting every now and then. There is also mm-hmm. self-inflicted wounds where um, I think there was a muff punt. There was a uh, – that's an interception of the way. There was a – what was the play? There was a play. I don't know if these would have made a difference, but you you get the punt. You get the ball back. Okay. You're not – the BYU scores right away. There was a pass play that kind of summed up the whole game. Cole McDonald was pressured, which, again, BYU pressured him and – we saw versus Army when he struggled or other teams, they cannot throw the ball more and they're pressured, especially Hawaii, it looks like. So mm-hmm. he has a play. He's getting pressured. Ball downfield, slightly underthrown, but just enough where when the receiver went to get it, it bounced off his head. Huh. Like, it wasn't a comical bounce. Like, a guy wasn't seeing it coming, like, off the back of the head. Like, or a Jose Canseco hit, getting the ball off the uh, outfield wall for a, for a home run. This was the guy was reaching for the ball. It just happened to be a little short where it hit him like in the face, like the top of, above the face mask had mm-hmm. the ball been one yard out. It would have been a running touchdown for Cedric bird. No questions asked. So there was a few plays like that, but Billy's offense, this was clearly their best game of the year. 
I'd say even more so than beating Wisconsin of how impressive they were for scoring. They basically doubled their highest point total of the year. They're, they scored, I think, 30 or 31 versus McNeese State, 49 in this game. Yeah, I think you know, when you when I go back and I look at kind of how things unfolded as far as the play-by-play is concerned, you know, one thing I notice is going back to scoring opportunities again, both teams actually topped or they were either at or above six points per trip inside the 40. The big difference was why did get there. <laughs> the, the big difference was BYU had eight opportunities and Hawaii only had four. And I think what it came down to was just you know this the that that slow start that they had in the first half. And, you know, and three straight punts, turn on turnover on downs, interception. That was five of their what seven drives in the first half. Yeah, and like they had a, a mini run. Like they the third quarter looked better. But here's where they, they could have had a few more chances. Like, they kicked a field goal down 21-3. They mm-hmm. forced BYU to punt three and out, or four plays a punt. Then there was that interception with, like, 90 seconds left, and BYU turns it around for points. Yeah. Had they gotten any sort of points there, say they trolled 21-6, say they trolled 21-10 at the half, then there could be something. But then there's also that fumble for a touchdown as well that, did, that um, was obviously not ideal. A fall, or excuse me, a fumble that turned into a touchdown. And that was the punt issue where they scored right away to go up 35-10. So it's – and then they just kind of exchanged touchdown passes and the game ended. It was like, well, okay, ho-hum, whatever. But slow start, Hawaii I, – I think part of it is, like, not to be a naysayer, but I think BYU was pumped up because they had a new starting quarterback. And that does a lot. Adrenaline can lead a lot in certain people. And they, look, so, and they looked better too. They looked really good in this game. Mm-hmm. So – how concerned are you about Hawaii at this point? Um, and the only reason I ask is because, you know, they've looked a little bit different, not quite as explosive as they did in, in September. And this is three weeks in a row now that by, you know, yards per play, as far as total offense is concerned, it's three weeks in a row now. And this is against San Jose State, Wyoming, and granted, Cole McDonald missed the Wyoming game, and now versus BYU, where they failed to top five yards per carry. Yeah. Five yards per play. Ooh, Excuse me. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. They're going to lose to Fresno State. They're going to lose to Utah State. They're going to lose to San Diego State. They might lose to Nevada next week at home. They might win two more games the rest of the way and be a solid 8-4. But I think that that still represents a huge step forward oh, we thought they'd be, right? It certainly does. But I've just kind of been not too excited the past three weeks. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to check in on that because I know you were driving the band. I was. Hey, I was. Early. Hey, hey, you were on last week. Don't hop off yet. Come on. There's room. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. Like, the Nevada game next week will be interesting. They could, they, like, they could beat Nevada because it's Nevada plays Portland Islands, and Nevada's not this amazing team offensively, yeah. But, like, seriously, is the over-under going to be 100 points in that game? Could it be? I mean, I, I don't know about that because I think we've seen Nevada's defense come out and play pretty well for about a month now. Sure, they've been playing better. I just but and, Hawaii also still has plenty to play for because oh by the way, they're still three and zero in the West. First place, they're, they're Warriors, still yeah. out in front. They have a better a better record than Fresno State in conference play. Mm-hmm. Just saying. It's going to be interesting to watch to see if that offense, especially, could turn it around. We'll see if they can get get back going, and maybe. Rolo needs a punt on fourth down every now and then. 
I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with being aggressive. It's just, you know, kind of picking and choosing your spots. And I think that we've seen plenty of instances where it worked out, especially in the early weeks of the year. Yeah. I, it's just, you know, I hard, it's hard for me to pin too much responsibility or too much blame on him for something like that. No, the one just was because fine. I think I think we look at a lot of situations um, where you know someone and I'm, and I'm trying to remember if it was Jay Norvell or someone someone else in the conference who like punted on fourth and one at their opponent's 42 yard line. I'm trying to remember exactly. Wait, wait, who you're it not was. talking about you're not talking about Jason Garrett of the Dallas Cowboys, are you? I mean, I could be talking about him, but it's just, you know, we, we see so many frustrations based off of head coaches reluctance to be aggressive that I find it really hard to fault personally when a team like Hawaii chooses to kind of put the pedal to the metal and see what happens because, you know, we're, we're seeing it a little more across the conference. And even though it didn't quite work out, there were only two of four yesterday but they're still at 70% on the year as far as converting on fourth downs. And I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. I think Rolovich has kind of established his mantra of, you know, if we're in a, a palatable situation, a makeable situation, we're going to go for it. And I don't see anything wrong with that. No, you're not wrong. Like the one in the first half was like, they're on their um, BYU's 43 yard line. So it's like you have a risk of punting and only, and only like giving 20 yards away. Mm-hmm. It's like why not? I I get it. It's just maybe because most of the, like he's been successful first CSU to opening weekend. He was close and said kick a field goal. Go for it. Surprise a little bit, but I'm just saying. I don't know if the offense isn't doing that great. Maybe be a little more selective. That's all. I guess we'll see. All right, you ready for the final game of the night? Let's do it. Fresno State was uh, trailing three to zero at one point in this game against Wyoming. And then Wyoming mm-hmm. did nothing and did not score the rest of the game. Never, never in doubt. 27-3 Fresno State. And, yeah, McMarion looks good. McMarion, what, first off, what's up with the rushing game, Matt? McMarion led the team in rushing as well with only 53 yards. I'm not overly concerned about that, if only because, if you recall last year, it was it was a running game that was Okay. I think when you look at what they've done on the season so far, they're actually, I believe, a half yard, you know, short of where they were last year. Like on a per play basis right now, they're only averaging 3.7 yards per carry, which doesn't sound great. But on the other hand, they have 16 rushing touchdowns, which is nearly equal to what they had last year when they had 22 and were averaging 4.2 yards per carry. And, you know, when you consider how much they're getting the running backs into the mix, especially recently, you know, we saw Jordan Mims have that long catch and run against Toledo a few weeks ago. It's not necessarily about what they do on the ground as, as much as it is what they do on the ground and through the air. And that's when you start looking at Ronnie Rivers, for instance, who's looking like he's back to 100% and a very key cog in that offense. You know, he had three targets three catches 53 yards jordan mims had 13 yards through the air so i'm not overly concerned about that because they've been about as efficient as they were last year running the football yeah it's and it also hey you played well i mean they have a pretty good defense i heard right well and it's not only that but you know we talked about it a little bit 
in, uh, in either last week's recap or in the preview, but McMarion has taken a huge step forward and he kind of had the game that I think we both talked about in the preview for this game, 22 of 32, 287 yards, two touchdowns through the air. He just was never seriously threatened because again, the offense kind of kept him upright. Wyoming wasn't able to manage any sacks. And even though, the the running game's production was pretty modest. Wyoming only managed three tackles for loss, even despite running the ball 33 times. So I think that we're seeing a different offense than we expected to see from Fresno State, but it makes them dangerous, not only because they can get the running backs into space and let them create plays. Now we're starting to see the tight ends come into play, you know, because Jared Rice actually led the team in, in catches, you know, nine targets, seven catches, 94 yards, and the opening score, yeah, we saw Cam Newton have a 20-yard catch to set up a drive. David, uh, David Tanjipa had a short touchdown catch. So maybe going circling back around to your original question, <laughs> am I concerned about the running game? No, because you know it's a running game that's not meant to be explosive, I don't think. I, I was kind of hoping that they would be, but from what I've seen from them, especially in the last few weeks, doesn't really concern me at all because what they're doing complements what the passing game is doing so well. Yeah, that's true. Um, but this game, like, if we're going to get back to the game itself, Wyoming's offense is in trouble, man. Nico Evans did have, like, one or two decent plays, but I, I mentioned preseason and stuff, like, this offense can't be worse than last year. I think it is worse than last year. And I get it. Fresno's defense is amazing and great. They're probably the, I think they are the best in the conference, them in San Diego State. But, like, when you throw for 100, barely 100 yards, you have, you have less, fewer than 250 yards total offense. You can't move the ball. You terrible on third down. You turn the ball over. It's, oh yeah, minus one. But it's like, it's not like Fresno was great on, I don't know. It's, um, the offense is bad. What can you say, Matt? What's what is there a shining thing in offense at all? Is it Rocket Ishmael Jr. getting uh, 40, 46 yards on two catches? I mean, you really you really got to dig for it. I say it. I like I mean, especially since Vanderwall had 12 completions. Yeah. Four of them were chunk plays, you know, 16, 21, 17 and 25 yards. I mean, I don't I don't know that I could do math that fast in my head. But considering he only threw for 117 yards on the day, that's not ideal. No, and like this team, like the first drive, they looked pretty good though. They moved the ball a full 60, what did they go, 50 yard field goal? Was that how far it was? Um, no, not 50, 47 yard field goal, 44. After that, like they forced Fresno to punt, who didn't look at the first possession, but then it was all three plays, three plays. They did, they did have that 14 play drive. How do you go 14 yards and punt the ball? <laughs> I mean, 14 plays, excuse me, and you punt the ball. That is an excellent question. I know they started at their own three, but they moved to about midfield, but they kept moving and moving and moving, and then they finally had a third and 15 because there is a um, a minus five-yard pass to Nico Evans. Mm-hmm. I... See, see, here's the thing, though. Oh, man, what's the thing? This Fresno State defense is really – really good oh no no i know it's really really good but i'm just trying to see like that's just a kind of a comical drive but and they, had... and they weren't and they weren't even at full strength either like jasad haynes didn't play on the defensive line yeah uh but it didn't really seem to matter because you know kwame jones had three quarterback hits uh tank kelly had four pass breakups 
um, maybe he was trying not to be underappreciated anymore. He was on on that article that I wrote last week, and it was and they had nine pass breakups as a team. That's good. That's really good. So, you know, I think we kind of expected this coming into the season that we knew Wyoming's defense or offense, excuse me, was going to be uneven. And then it was going to be up to the defense to try to keep them in games. But it's starting to look more and more like a situation that's just not going to be tenable. I don't know if the offense has the pieces to be able to keep them in games. Well, it also doesn't help when you have three plays punt, four plays punts, six plays interception. You don't give your defense a time to rest. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. I don't care how good you are, but if you're going three and out or maybe six plays at most, your defense needs time to breathe, man. Oh, yeah. I don't know. So, is, can, can I cross Wyoming off my bull whistlish? I mean, yeah, I think you can. I was kind of iffy about it from the beginning, but, you know, it's not going to get any easier from here for them. Now, the Utah State, no. The final four games at CSU, San Jose State, Air Force, UNM, seemed winnable a couple weeks ago. I don't, I don't think so because Air Force um, looks better if they have Hammond back there. CSU... They can score points. That's a thing. They'll be able to score points. And then mm-hmm. New Mexico with Jones, maybe he can throw some touchdowns against his team, but I don't see them winning four in a row at any point this year. And that's what they're going to have to do because the Utah State game next week will be quite interesting just because of how good the defense is. But I would guarantee Utah State will still put up 35 points minimum. Well, that's the thing. Like we, If you go back to success rate in this game, like I wouldn't call Fresno State the most dynamic offense in the conference. You know, I think that title right now clearly belongs to Utah State, mm-hmm. but they still managed a 45% success rate against this team. And when you compare that to what Wyoming was able to do, you know, they only had a 22% success rate. Yeah. And they just weren't able to get it done early. They weren't able to get it done late. They were they only got inside the 40 one time. That was on the first drive when they kicked a field goal. They had a substantial field position disadvantage. And it was just just bad all around. And while I wouldn't necessarily say that Utah State's defense is in the same category as Fresno State's right now. Nope. At least for another week, I just really don't see how Wyoming's going to be able to turn this around. And we'll talk about it more at length in our preview for week eight. But yeah, I just I th- I feel like this is a situation where they are stuck because I don't think turning to Nick Smith's going to be the answer at quarterback. But one thing I noted in in uh, the article that I wrote today about the week's winners and losers, there are exactly two qualified, or excuse me, three qualified quarterbacks in the FBS ranks who have a worse passer rating than Tyler Vanderwall right now. Wow! Wow! Who are they? Do you have them? Uh, you? One of them plays at Rutgers. Naturally. One of them plays Kansas? at UTEP. Oh, not Kansas. <laughs> no, no. And the third one is actually a UTSA. Their starter there. Okay. Uh, just a quick, pro- not programming note, but update note. Utah State's a road 14-point t- rate favorites over Wyoming next week. I'll just say it right now. If, however high that line goes, take it. <laughs> it's not high enough. It can never be high enough for you? No, it really can't. <laughs> I mean, like I said, we'll talk about that game more at length uh, in midweek. But, yeah, it's just Wyoming. I was kind of iffy on them coming into the year, and they just haven't shown me anything on offense that inspires any uh, kind of confidence. We do have some breaking news here from our good friend Justin Michael. Uh-huh. Um, call out our state news. I'm scrolling through Twitter. Breaking as of 28 minutes ago as we're recording in on-demand audio formats. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rashard Body is no longer listed on the Colorado State roster. Interesting. He was also a member suspended for the first half of the New Mexico Bowl and missed the first two games this year. Because well, and we should we probably didn't mention it earlier. It, it slipped my mind, but they also lost Olabisi Johnson to injury in that game mm-hmm. after he scored a touchdown. As far as I know, his status is up in the air. We'll probably learn more about that as the week progresses as well. There are. If you check the roster, number 28 is no longer a body, but I'm going to butcher this name. I appreciate it so much that they stick a name I cannot pronounce here for number 28. Safety, Kavapele Maka? Kavapele Maka? Does that sound about right? Good enough. Good enough for you. Good enough for me. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's some news there. All right, so look for some midseason stuff this week. We're going to have some fun. Uh, may or may not record a podcast. We'll see if we have time for that. But there will be some articles about, hey, biggest surprise, worst surprise, best coach, um, who's your conference title game projection at the midway point. So look for all that fun stuff. Check us out at mwr.com. Subscribe, all that good jazz. iTunes, Stitcher. Um, I don't know. I think we're in Google Play. Basically, just search Mount Westwire podcast. You'll find us, right, Matt? One way or another, yeah. One way or another. Or just check to Twitter, Jeremy Moss, uh, Matt K underscore FS or MWC Wire. And we'll see you next week, folks, for week eight.